Thanks very much, Pete. Well, there's a wide range of teams here, but there's a few people that are very invested in the week that we're about to have. Chris Kennedy, the Bunnies. Now, I already knew this, but uh, Rod Gruggan agrees with that. And Max Vossen says the Panthers. So you're going head to head, you two there. There you go. Have a good week. Michael Hammond says the Dragons. Well, you're the same as Graham. You've been languishing at the bottom for a long time. So good luck with that. That's my team as well. Uh, Who else have we got? Michael likes Ipswich Town. I presume they're in the same uh, 18th division as the uh, Carlisle United. I'm not sure about that. Leighton says the Sydney Sixers. Uh, so does Liam. Thank you, Liam. Uh, and then Ron. Ron, you've gone a little bit, uh, well, you're a little bit left field. I like this. The local land care team and Nick Burrell's gardening team. How good's that? Well done. Excellent. Uh, the Glasgow Rangers get a start. Uh, the favourite team is Dave's team from the trivia at the pub. Okay. Thanks, Mim. Excellent. Uh, and uh, the South Melbourne Football Club from Bruce Olsen, a.k.a. the Sydney Swans. There you go. Or I don't know if you're allowed to say that, but uh, there we go. Now, we saw, haven't we, we've seen, haven't we, over the last few days, some significant sporting games with some big teams, whether it's the AFL Grand Final or whether it's the NRL, whether it's the women's cricket, whatever it might be, uh, the best teams are united in vision but diverse in their impact. They've got various people playing various roles, doing various things, but they're united in purpose and united in direction. Today, we want to look at a team. The same team we've been looking at over the last few weeks. The team that we might call the Godhead, the triune God. Over the last few weeks, we've seen the three-in-one God that we believe in, that we worship. And we've stretched our minds to understand both the Trinity and the Father, Son and Holy Spirit nature of our God and the incarnation, how Jesus can be one person with two natures and we've done well to stretch our minds in those areas. And today we look even further into the Godhead, this time to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now for many people, the Holy Spirit is like that strange member of the family that you might have. That strange member that you haven't seen for a few weeks, but you know you'll see at Christmas, who does spontaneous and strange things. That uncle that you're not quite sure what he's doing at any given time. This is often the opinion of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit does random things, spontaneous things, things that are unusual, things that are out of the box and Is this the way the Holy Spirit operates? For many, this is the the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the Holy Spirit. The one that we kind of push to the margins because we just can't quite understand you. But for others, the Holy Spirit is enticing. The Holy Spirit is enticing over and above the Father and the Son. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is often associated for people with emotion. And experience and exuberance and excitement. It's like your friend that you have. Again, you haven't seen them for a while, but you just know that when you get together with that friend, you're going to have a great time because they're bubbly and they're the life of the party and they're great, uh, they're great uh, people to be around. They're upbeat, they feel good. And this is why some people are drawn to the person of the Holy Spirit. This is often why you find a distinction being made by some people about a 
spirit-filled Christian and some other version of Christianity because this person is bubbly and upbeat and has a great personality and this person's a bit dour and... And the same thing goes for churches, a spirit-filled church with lots of energy and excitement and enthusiasm and a non-spirit-filled church. And is this the Holy Spirit? Or is this just personality? See, when we come to the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And as a team, working together, the Godhead, though diverse, have one purpose. And that one purpose is in Christ. This morning, what we'll see as we look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, is we'll see that the Holy Spirit's work is deeply tied and connected to the person of Christ, in whom is salvation for us. And so I'd love you to jump onto Slido. If you've got any questions today, slido.com using the hashtag HBSP and I'll answer some of those at the end. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at the person of the Holy Spirit and then the work of the Holy Spirit under four headings and then I've got one little last heading for us at the end. Again, we're going to have verses on the screen so please make sure you've got a pen or a pencil to jot those down. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, be with us as we look at your word today about the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells with us, we thank you for the great gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, please, that we might understand him more today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Carlisle is one of those surnames that almost always gets misspelled. The S in there confuses everyone. How can there be an S in Carlisle, the silent S? Well, I have one of those surnames that's misspelled, but I'm not one of those people that gets particularly worried about that. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that do. Some people get particularly worried when their name gets misspelled because for them, it's close to their identity and close to the accuracy of their character. We like to be understood, don't we? We like to be understood in who we are. And the person of the Holy Spirit is often misunderstood. The person of the Holy Spirit, we need to begin by understanding, is not an impersonal force or a power. No, the person of the Holy Spirit is completely, 100% and truly God. And therefore, by definition, the Holy Spirit is personal. Look at the first verse you'll see on the screen here from Acts chapter 5. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Look at this. You have not lied to man, but to God. The Holy Spirit is God. And as God is a personal, is a personal uh, person towards us. The Holy Spirit has a will. It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's possible to please, therefore, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our advocate and counsellor. And if the Holy Spirit wasn't it, then we would not be able to have any of these things. You can't grieve an object. You can't please an object. An object can't have a will. An object cannot be a counsellor or an advocate. No, the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. Because the Holy Spirit is God. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, 
The word that you might have heard before uh, for uh, the word spirit is ruach. And the word in the New Testament is pneuma, where we get the word for today, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. But whichever word you use, ruach or pneuma, both of these words refer to a wind or a breath. You know what it's like to see the wind, don't you? You see the wind going through the trees, but you don't actually see the wind. You just see the effects of the wind. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus describes himself in John chapter 3. The Holy Spirit is the breath or the wind of God. But the Holy Spirit is also described as the Spirit of Christ. Look at this verse from Romans chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, notice how they're interchangeable, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There is an interchangeableness between the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So what we have in the work of the Holy Spirit is a person who is truly and completely God. A he, not an it. A person, not an impersonal force or power. The Spirit of Christ, God himself. And we're told, God is not a God of disorder or randomness but a god of peace and order we see this written in a section that we'll look at later in the spiritual gifts but we should expect therefore that the holy spirit will not work on his own not out there as that crazy uncle we spoke about earlier he will not just run off and do his own thing For he is completely and utterly a member of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity, who will work in alignment with the Father and the Son, and though different and distinct, united in purpose, and they work as a team. And so what's important for us is to look for the Holy Spirit where he promises to show up. In many ways. The work of the Holy Spirit is more exciting and enticing for people because what they imagine the Holy Spirit to do are the spontaneous, supernatural things, the mystical things, the things we can't quite understand, that spiritual element of life that we'd like to tap into. But is that really what the Holy Spirit does? See, I want to suggest to you this morning, uh, in the four points on the work of the Holy Spirit, that what the Holy Spirit actually is here to do is to apply the work of Christ to our lives. And so with that, we turn to the work of Christ and four headings. First of all, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Right from the beginning of the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit of God right next to the Word of God. We've seen this already in this series, but let's look at it again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said. We've got a verse marker there at verse 3 that stops us from reading those two things together. But it is not 
a coincidence that the Spirit of God and the Word of God are right next to each other in the initial pages of the Bible. And again, we shouldn't be surprised by this, should we? For after all, if the Spirit of God is the breath or the wind of God, then it makes sense that the Word is right nearby. It's the same for you and I. We know all too well, don't we, in this mask-wearing era, that where our voice is, our breath is there very clearly. Sometimes behind a mask, that's okay. Sometimes behind a mask, you overpower yourself when you open your mouth. Or I do, at least. Maybe that tells you a bit much about me. But it's true to say that where your breath is, there your word is close by, and so it is with God. The breath of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God are all together, hand in hand, one with another. And this is a theme that continues all the way through the Old Testament. So that Peter says in his letter in 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, that, well, all the prophets had breathed out words from God. Look at what it says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, it should come as no surprise that the famous passage of 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, using that language of spiritual inspiration of the words, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. And so it goes on. As we saw earlier in our series, the Holy Spirit is deeply connected to the writing and inspiration of the Scriptures. And yet, not only does the Holy Spirit uh, inspire the Scriptures to those who originally wrote it down, but the Holy Spirit also illuminates that very same word to us, those who read God's Word. Look at these passages from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. But these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And then the natural person, just a couple of verses later, does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The Word of God is understood by us only when the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Now, this doesn't mean that the Word of God is going to become automatically, completely understandable to us when we receive the Holy Spirit, but it will mean that we grow in our understanding and knowledge of God's Word. It's also true, as we've already said in this series, that when people we know and love who are not Christians read the Bible If they do not have the Holy Spirit working in their lives, they cannot understand it. This is why Paul prays as he does in the book of Ephesians and two verses in particular in the book of Ephesians. Look at them on your screen, Ephesians 1 verse 17. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know, and he goes on for the next five or six verses to say what you should know. This is not a separate spirit that God sends, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It is the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes to Jesus. And then in uh, Ephesians 3, we see the same thing. You see this one come up again, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And so it goes on. The Spirit of God and the Word of God are deeply, deeply connected. Sometimes in the world in which we live and in the Christian world in particular, there are two groups of Christians. There's the spiritual Christians and then there's the Bible Christians. But this is a dichotomy that is completely and utterly false. See, to be a Bible Christian is, by definition, to be a spirit Christian. There is no dichotomy. For we need the Spirit of God to inspire God's Word to be written in the first place and illuminate God's Word to our hearts. You cannot understand the Word of God without the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives, even this present day at this present moment, is absolutely vital For otherwise, the words that we have in front of us in God's word will simply wash over us and have no impact or effect at all. No, the spirit of God and the word of God have always been deeply connected. Secondly, the spirit and salvation. Many aspects of salvation itself are attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit. As we said at the beginning, this is the way that Christ's work for us is applied to our lives. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He paid the penalty for sin and gave us new and eternal life. But the way that salvation is applied to our lives is through the work of the Holy Spirit. At the very beginning of our Christian life, we need to be born again. Or to use the technical term for it, we need to be made regenerate. We need regeneration. And this happens by the Holy Spirit. Look at these two verses. They happen to match their references. Chapter 3, verse 5 from John and Titus. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Titus says the same, uh, Paul says the same thing to Titus. He saved us not because of works uh, done in, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is deeply involved in applying the work of Christ to our lives so that we can become saved people. Indeed, we find that faith itself comes as a result of the Holy Spirit. Look at these verses in 1 Corinthians Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And later in the same letter, Paul says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. We can't call Jesus our Lord, our Saviour, in any real sense, without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives the holy spirit causes us to be reborn causes us to have faith in jesus and the applied work of jesus in our life comes as a result of the holy spirit now we could go into a lot more detail about this but let me just show you three other passages to show the breadth of the work of the holy spirit first the holy spirit justifies and sanctifies Uh, 1 corinthians 6 verse 11 such were some of you but you were washed You are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, applying the work of Jesus to our lives. Justification, sanctification, washing. 
Then Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit allows us to be adopted into God's family. And then finally, it's a permanent relationship. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so the Holy Spirit allows us to be justified, sanctified, washed, adopted. And the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who believe is permanent. It's a guarantee of the inheritance that we will receive in the future. You see, the link between the Holy Spirit and our salvation is absolutely clear. The work of Jesus on the cross, the work of Jesus in his resurrection from the dead, is applied to us by the Holy Spirit, not on our own. See, another way of saying this is, you are only a Christian because of the influence and intervention of the Holy Spirit of God who gives you new birth, who gives you conversion, who gives you justification, sanctification, adoption, permanence in God's family, and the list could go on. This is why, right throughout the Scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, followers of the Lord Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So that they might be able to speak powerfully of the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, which saves people. See, the spirit and salvation are deeply connected. And the good news for us is, if the Holy Spirit is the one that applies the salvation of Christ into our lives, then it is God's initiative to provide us with salvation from beginning to end. But more of that when we get to soteriology, the discussion and study of salvation in a couple of weeks' time. So the Holy Spirit and God's word deeply connected. The Holy Spirit and salvation deeply connected. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit and growth are deeply connected. We've already seen this verse. We saw it just a minute ago. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 again. You were washed. You were sanctified in Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit is deeply involved in our sanctification, our growth in Jesus. But did you notice in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11... Our sanctification there is completed, according to Paul. But we know in our experience that's not how it works out. We know in our own humanity that we find ourselves to be growing in Christ, and so we should. Our sanctification is sure, complete, and and utterly secure in the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And yet the Holy Spirit still helps us over time to work this out. Look at a couple of passages on your screen. For God has not called us to impurity, but holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, uh, disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Secondly, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification made holy, growing as a Christian by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And as Matt showed us just a few weeks ago uh, from 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, the bit highlighted there, the sanctification of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who will grow us in Christ as well. 
And yet, the growth that we have in Christ is not without our own effort or attention. Yes, it's completely secured. We've seen that from 1 Corinthians 6, but it's not without our own effort and attention. Just a couple of passages here. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 14. So then, brothers, we are dead as not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, by the Spirit you do something, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then, of course, there's the famous passage of uh, Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the, or the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I've just highlighted a few of the passages here. You could look at the whole section, but look at what it says. Uh, the previous bit in Romans said you are led by the Spirit. This says, I say, walk by the Spirit. That takes some action on our behalf. And so it goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and so on. And verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, this, these passages are saying, though our sanctification, our growth in Christ is absolutely sealed by Jesus Christ, we work this out as we walk in the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit, as we grow in the Spirit. We work this out in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, to be led by the Holy Spirit does not mean that you end up being incredibly enthusiastic in your personality. Being led by the Spirit does not mean you make spontaneous decisions that lead you in one direction or another in life. To be led by the Spirit is not to be guided in some sort of mystical sense where you trust your feelings over and above the Word of God. But this is how the Holy Spirit's work in being led by the Spirit is seen in today's world. I hope you can see that to be led by the Spirit in all of these passages and in these contexts in particular is to be led in sanctification into the image of Christ. To be led by the Spirit, to be guided by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit is about being more like Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does as he grows us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 speaks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, I encourage you, as I've done throughout this series, to read the context of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 verse 1 talks about imitating, uh, imitating God. The rest of the chapter speaks about what it looks like to walk in our behaviour as people growing, as growing Christians, growing in Christ. To be sanctified, to be more like Jesus, to be holy and Though we are once and for all sealed by the Holy Spirit for the inheritance we will receive in the future, yet we are told not to grieve the Spirit, not to push against the Spirit's work so that we will not grow into the image of Christ, but instead to allow the, Spirit, the Spirit's power to work in our lives that we might be more like Christ. And so we should walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit, not grieve the Spirit. As we seek to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the Spirit's will for us. That we might grow into the image of Jesus Christ. The Spirit and the Word. 
the spirit and salvation, the spirit and growth, and then finally, the spirit and service. As I've been doing my reading this week, uh, most of the books, including uh, Know the Truth, that is a very good book, uh, speak about this area under the heading of spiritual gifts. But I think the language of spiritual gifts obscures the work of the Spirit. Because it makes, therefore, the spiritual gifts passages more about the gifts we have and less about the giver of the gifts and the purpose of the gifts. We talked about this in our series a little while ago in the book of 1 Corinthians, and particularly 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is the longest sustained section in the Bible about the so-called spiritual gifts. But this passage is not designed to show us what our gifts are or to point us inward that we might look at ourselves and our own gifts, but it might be designed to push us outward. Look at these passages on the screen. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now look at verse 7. It's absolutely key. Oh, we'll go back on. There it is. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is repeated at the end of the argument in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, in verse 26, where Paul says, What then, brothers, when each of you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, all those different gifts we saw in chapter 12. But the goal is this, let all things be done for building up. See, the spiritual gifts that come as a result of the Holy Spirit are not about our own abilities or our own talents, but about service. That's what makes them spiritual. Before we knew Jesus and had the promised gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, the things we would do would be, in some ways, for ourselves. But after the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives through the person of Jesus, we now take what we have and we use it for the service of others. That's what makes it spiritual. The Holy Spirit inspires us to serve in ways we were never able to do before. Now our goal is about serving others so that they might be built up in Christ and grow themselves in Christ rather than using what I have. In the first place, therefore, it's not about our abilities or our skills, but our service. As I said in the 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 series, I spoke about how uh, in other churches I've been in in the past, it was necessary for me to be the singer at the front of church. Now, you'd be glad today that that's not the case in our particular church family. But you see, it's less about the ability and the skill anyway, and more about the desire and ability to serve others. The people of Corinth were um, uh, deeply caring about emphasising their amazing gifts, their tongues, their miraculous skills that they had in being able to heal people and complete miracles and so on. But the aim is not to build the best set of skills. The aim is instead to, in love, serve others. And so what does this mean for us? Well, we can't be together at the moment, which is part of the challenge for us. But it does mean this. If when you serve morning tea and it's back on again, and your brownies are a little burnt and you can't cook very well, that's okay. 
It means if you pray at the front of the church service and you tried your best but it was a bit disjointed, that's okay. It means if the preacher doesn't quite carry it on that particular day and they're hard to listen to and difficult to connect with, that's okay. Because, that's right, because the goal is not about the skill but the service. We serve in love to build other people up to the maximum effort. And so when you and I think about spiritual gifts, we think about what I'm good at or an obvious supernatural thing that somebody can do. But what makes a gift spiritual is that it builds the church in Christ. See, this is great news for us because it means the church of God does not need omni-talented Christian people to do a whole range of things. What this means is by the Holy Spirit of God, even those people, even those people who have profound disabilities, even those people who are profoundly uh, uh, socially awkward and inept, even those people are able to serve others for growth in Christ. See, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit makes us ready to serve others. And so it's less about the gifts and more about the service. It's less about the gifts and more about the giver. After all, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives that we might serve others. Why? So that they might grow in Christ. You see, this is the point of the work of the Holy Spirit all the way along. The Holy Spirit is deeply connected to the word of Christ. The Holy Spirit is deeply connected to the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit is deeply connected to the growth we have in Christ. The Holy Spirit is deeply connected to the service we offer to grow other people in Christ. See, what the Holy Spirit does is help us to see Christ, which is the final piece of our puzzle this morning. The Holy Spirit ultimately is humble. See, in many cases, people want to today focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. You might have heard language like this, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Holy Spirit, we we want to pray to you. We give the Holy Spirit attention and that's okay. The Holy Spirit is firmly and completely God and yet his desire is that we turn our attention on Jesus Christ. Look at these three passages from the same context, the book of John, chapter 14. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, whom the Father uh, will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Do you see the focus is reminding them of Jesus? The same is true in 15. But when the Helper comes, I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then again in chapter 16, we see this and again just the highlighted sections. In verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, presumably to turn people towards Jesus. Verse 13, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, even though he's God. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine. And declare it to you. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus Christ, 
to connect with his word, to connect with his salvation, to connect with growth in Christ and to connect with service in the church of God so that we might all grow in Christ. As the famous theologian said, J.I. Packer, he said, the Holy Spirit is like a spotlight at a stage show. None of us go to a stage show and turn around and look at the spotlight. But we turn to the one to whom the spotlight is on. In that way, the Holy Spirit is self-effacing. And though he is God, and though he must be worshipped as God, we must see his work for what it is. See, nowhere in the Bible are we told to pray to the Holy Spirit, Old Testament or New Testament. Nowhere, nowhere are we told to imitate the Holy Spirit, Old Testament or New Testament. The early Christians were not called spiritists, but Christians. Which leads Packer to make this wonderful quote that we'll finish with this morning about the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. But always look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. See, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning that if you're a Christian who knows the Lord Jesus, then you have been filled with his Holy Spirit once and for all. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us today. And that if you read God's word and you've been saved by God and you can see your growth in Christ and you serve other people in the church of God for their growth in Christ, then you are a spirit-filled spiritual Christian. It's important for us that we go looking in the right places for the Holy Spirit. Don't go looking in the wrong places. So, uh, for though God can do whatever he wills, he chooses to work as a team, to focus the attention in this world on Christ, and this is what the Holy Spirit does. So don't go looking for the crazy, the supernatural, that uncle that you push to the side that does weird things. That's not where the Holy Spirit will be found. And don't be wrong to confuse exuberance, excitement, and enthusiasm with the work of the Holy Spirit, for this is not what the work of the Holy Spirit is. That's just a personality trait. Instead, see the work of the Holy Spirit as deeply tied to Jesus Christ in his word, in his salvation, in the growth in Christ we have, and in the ability to serve for the cause of Christ. There we see God's promised Holy Spirit. Well, you might have a question or two that you'd like to ask. I'm going to pause for 90 seconds or so. Take some time. Slido.com, HBSP is the hashtag. Ask a question there and I'll be back to answer a couple in just a moment.
All right, thank you for your questions. There's some, uh, there's some crackers there. Really appreciate you asking them. First is uh, this.